This morning we're going to be looking in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be looking from verse 1 to 3, and as I was um, looking at this passage uh, over the week, it brought back memories for me because the title I'm using is Experiences, as I said, the power of God's Word, and it reminded me of when I first became a Christian, when I first heard the gospel, and it was all new to me. I came from a, an unchurched background, but you know, I didn't have a lot of problems with the things that people were saying in the sense that I knew that I was a sinner. I was very much aware of that. There were plenty of indicators in my life that would have led me to agree with that. And when I heard about Jesus and thought about God's love, that God would be a God of love, the gospel fitted together for me. But the wonderful thing following on from that day was that I then started to read God's Word. And what I found was that this Word of God written, gathered together over thousands of years, completed thousands of years ago, that this word really spoke directly into the needs of my life and challenged me at many points and has continued to challenge me. And God's here today and he wants each one of us who are here to know Jesus and to experience the power of his word. We're going to come to this passage now. So First Peter uh, chapter First Peter chapter two from verse one, just a short reading. Where Peter says, following on from all he's already just shared, he says, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thank God for his word given to us today. Is that popping a wee bit just now, that mic? Is everybody okay with that? I'm all right. I just want to know, just because we're trying it out again this morning, just want to make sure that it's working okay. Just one thing to share with you before we come and pray and then gather around the word of God. Sam McCutcheon passed on a message, he phoned me yesterday but I only got it this morning just to let me know that a, a former deacon of the church here, someone called Graham Polly, who I know would be well known to many people who've been here for a number of years just to say that Graham passed away so it's just so he felt people would, would want to be made aware of that so Graham Polly has passed away over the last couple of days let's just come and pray Father, we want to thank you for the faithfulness of your people over many years here in Hamilton Baptist Church. And we want to thank you that we are benefactors today of faithfulness that stretches back over generations. And as we think of our our brother Graham Polly, we want to thank you for the way that he served you here, for the way that he sought to express his love for you and the faithfulness that your love had brought to birth in his heart, the way that he was willing to serve as a deacon here in Hamilton Baptist. Well, we thank you for the memories that many here have of Graham, and we pray your blessing and comfort to be shared now with his family. And Lord, we pray for ourselves right now that your word will come to us in power, that you will speak directly to the needs of our hearts and lives. And this we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, see. 
Well, just to recap a little bit, the, the last twice that we've looked together at First Peter, we've concentrated on three hidden, forgotten treasures of the Christian life that are just so vitally important if we're to live that, that holy, transformed, radically different, changed life that is God's will for every one of his people. So we looked at the, the blood of Christ that's integral to the cross of Christ, which is, we saw, the reason for our holiness. The reason in that it is because of the blood, it is because of the cross, that we can choose to be holy. For the blood, you see, pays the penalty of sin and breaks the power of sin, the compelling, dominating power of sin. Then we moved on to look at the Word of God, the Word which is the root of holiness. For it is by the Word, as we respond to God's Word, that we are born again into the holy life, into living basically something at least of the life of Jesus. The Word is the root, the Word is the seed, the beginning from which this comes. And then finally, last time, we looked at love particularly the ability to love the unlovely with the unique agape love of Jesus. This, we saw, is the result of holiness. And also that it is the presence of this love in our lives, of a new ability to love like this, a new capacity for love like this, that it's this that is the ultimate proof that our holiness is real. That the living, holy, loving life of Jesus really actually is at work within us. Well, in these verses we're now going to look at together, I believe this is taken on a stage further. And that what Peter says to us here, the, the challenge that he brings to us here, is basically that if you really want this holy life, if you want the blood, the word to do their work in you, that you might fulfill your potential in the Lord. If you want to grow in love in the way that you should, well then, there are certain things that need to be in place. There are certain things that need to happen in your life if this is to happen for you. So first then, there needs to be desire. For you see, verse 2 here talks of the desire that we should have as believers, where it says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now, the first thing I think we have to be clear about here, the first thing that we have to understand, is that the spiritual milk that is spoken of here is the word of of God. That's made clear, if by nothing else, by the context alone, that, in that it is the Word of God that dominates in the verses just prior to these verses here that are obviously linked together. However, this is also made clear in that what is said here of this pure spiritual milk is said elsewhere in the Bible of the Word of God. For here the milk is said to be spiritually nourishing. Well, in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, a verse that's later 
quoted by Jesus, there just that is said of God's word. That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Also, this milk is said to be pure. Well, Psalm 12 verse 6 says of God's word, that the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. So the word of God is pure. It's pure in that it is a word without error, in that it is a word that does not lie or mislead. It is a word that can then always be trusted. Also, we're told here that this milk is to be longed for. It's to be craved. It's to be desired. Well, Psalm 119 verse 20 says of God's word, it says, My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Now you see, if we take all of this in line with the fact that all of the the different ingredients of, of, of the spiritual life that form together our spiritual life, that the word is most clearly that which we take in as a baby takes in milk, as we read and as we listen to the word of God, well then surely there can be no doubt, no doubt at all, that the spiritual milk that's referred to here is the word of God. However, although I would argue that this is clear, I do believe there can still be some misunderstanding of just what Peter actually is saying here. For you see, looking at what we see elsewhere in the Bible, we could perhaps decide that this symbol of milk is, is used here to get across the idea of something simple, something basic, something elementary. So then that it's by repeatedly just taking in the elementary, basic, simple truths of the gospel of the Bible that the Christians Peter is writing to here will grow up into salvation, into the fullness of salvation. But you see, I don't believe that actually is Peter's emphasis here. And I don't believe it because the situation he is writing into is very, very different from other cases in the Bible where the word and milk are used in parallel. For example, in Hebrews, in Hebrews, the church that's been written to there is an immature church. It's a a church where the Christians are falling into error and are being led away from the Lord. Now, clearly then, when when they're told in Hebrews chapter 5 that you need milk, not solid food, Clearly, they are being told that they need to lay again, to lay once more the basic foundations of the faith. But this is not the case here in 1 Peter. Now here Peter is writing to a mature church, to a church who are going on with the Lord. And he's writing to encourage them, to strengthen them, people who have already stood firm in the face of persecution, to encourage them in the light of an even fiercer persecution that he knows is soon to come. So you see, he's not writing to tell these Christians that they need to lay again the foundations of their faith. He's not giving them a rebuke. 
No, his purpose here is to encourage these Christians and to tell them to dig down their foundations even deeper. So I believe then that milk is used here as a metaphor, as a symbol of God's word, not to tell us that it's necessarily the simple, basic teaching of the word that we need. No, but rather to get across to us, to communicate to us, that the word is to be desired, that the word is to be craved for as a baby craves for milk. That at whatever stage that you're at in the Christian life, that if you are going to go on from that, then you have to have a craving. You have to have a desire burning within you for the Word of God. And it's this that, as verse 2 puts it, will lead you to grow up in your salvation. This, then, is a vital ingredient in our growth into holiness, into spiritual maturity. But let me here just add one little proviso. That this desire, this craving for God's word will not lead to growth and spiritual maturity. Will have little or no spiritual effect on our lives. If our desire is just about knowledge for the sake of knowledge. If our desire for God's word is just about knowing for the sake of knowing, just for, for piling up knowledge. Well, you see, while that might make us feel good about ourselves, and while we might be able to impress people with our knowledge and get others to think of what wonderful Christians we are, and it might even get us university degrees, but this won't, this will not impress God and spiritually it will get us absolutely nowhere. It will not. No, our desire for God's word is only spiritually effective when it's motivated by a desire for a greater knowledge, a deeper relationship with the God that the word testifies to and points us to. And when it's also accompanied by obedience. It's not just knowing it when we're ready to do it. And it's only when these things are in place and held together that the Word can do in us all that is the Father's will for us. But anyway, if we are going to grow into holiness, if we're going to progress in our Christian life, if the blood of Christ and the Word of God are going to do their work in us. If we are going to grow in love the way that as believers we should, then we have to desire. We have to crave for the Word of God in the same way that a newborn baby craves for its milk. As a few mothers around here at the moment know. Perhaps some of us are sitting here just now though and, and we're, we're kind of thinking, I used to have that kind of hunger for God. I used to have that kind of desire for His Word. But you see, I know now, as I reflect on this, right here and now, that I don't have this same kind of burning desire anymore. It's not there. It's, there's not a hunger and a craving in my heart. So where 
have I gone wrong? Well, it might not perhaps cover every eventuality and reason. But let's move on here with Peter to look now at problems. Problems in our life that can prevent this, that can kill this, and problems that if they are there in our life, that we need to deal with right now. And they're outlined for us here in verse 1 of chapter 2, where Peter says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So you see, if we're going to have the kind of desire for the Word of God that will lead us to grow in our salvation, to grow into holiness, then there are things in our lives that we have got to get rid of. There are things that we have to regularly check, and if they're there, cleanse ourselves of, need to repent of, because if we don't, then these things which are sin will again raise a barrier in our lives that will hinder, that will choke the work of a holy God within us, that will choke the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so, instead of growing and blossoming in faith by the Word and by the Spirit, instead, if we don't deal with these things and we allow them to take a hold of us within, then like a cancer, they will eat away our spirit and we will, to all intents and purposes, will just spiritually, gradually shrivel up and die. These things kill spiritual desire. <laughs> if they're unchecked, and they kill spiritual growth. But what are we talking about here? What kind of things can cause this kind of spiritual damage? Well, of course, we've got to say, first of all, that anything that is sin, if it's left unchecked and undealt with, anything that is sin can do that. But Peter here gives us some of the main outworkings, some of the main manifestations of this, of the sin that destroys the work of the Spirit and the Word. That is, first of all, malice. Which means not only thinking evil, but actually doing that which is wicked and harmful and spiteful to others. All deceit. That speaks of those who try to do their, their wicked work, but they don't do it up front. They don't do it face to face. They try by cunning and by guile to disguise it. They use trickery and falsehood. They're not afraid to lie. Hypocrisy is probably about when all of this is going on and it's there in our lives, yet we try to hide what's actually going on within us by an outward show of holiness and righteousness. Our hearts are filled with anger and bitterness and resentment, maybe, but we try and hide that, camouflage that, by putting up a front of doing our religious duties, by doing the things that are expected of a good Christian. Trying to pretend to everybody that we're close to God, maybe even trying to fool ourselves, but all the while, we're far from him. And deep down, many of us know that. Envy, well, this is the root so often 
of all of this? Where it comes from? That instead of rejoicing of the gifts that others have, instead of rejoicing maybe at the blessing that they're enjoying, instead of that, we get envious of them. We covet what they have. We're not content with what God's given us and what God's doing in us. We want what they have. We're not prepared to let God take his time in us. We want it. We want it and we want it now. And the fact that we haven't got this, that we aren't who we want to be, we're not how we want to be, we're not what we want to be, this eats away and twists us up inside. And slander is the way that all too frequently all of this oozes out, this mess. You see, because many of us maybe don't go as far as actively, overtly being malicious and deceitful. Maybe we like the courage for that. We maybe don't plot and plan and actually do wicked things to people. We don't go that far. We'd be afraid to go that far. Instead, we hit out of them with our tongues and kid on to ourselves that our hearts are right. We hit out with our tongues, which so often hurts and wounds even more. The bitterness within oozes out as we tear people down, as we criticize them and condemn them, as we're never able to see anything good in anything or in anybody. Because you see, to see good, that would reflect on our own already fragile sense of self-esteem. Now, I don't know where you stand here in regard to what we're saying. I don't know where anybody stands. I don't know where I stand myself sometimes, but I think you've got to at least ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the question. If you sense that you're not going on with the Lord in the way that you should, if you sense that you're not growing in holiness, if you haven't got that desire for God to meet with Him, to know Him, to experience Him through His Word and by His Spirit, you've got to at least surely ask yourself the question, is this because there is sin in my life? Is this because there's sin in my heart that's preventing the Word and the Spirit of God working in me in the way that He so longs to do? Is there envy, deceitfulness, hypocrisy or envy in your life? Malice was the first one. Does this show itself in slander? And if there are these things, if any of this is there, then I tell you, you need to deal with that. You need to repent of that. And you need to do it right now. Don't make excuses for it. Don't leave it till tomorrow. You need to deal with it right now. Because that is the reason. Perhaps not the only reason, but certainly I would say the main reason for your spiritual condition. And I'll tell you, you will not budge spiritually until you sort this out. In fact, you'll continue to slip back. You've got to deal with your sin. But let me just finish by giving you briefly an incentive. An incentive to deal with this. An incentive to do what we've said. By sharing with you Peter's incentive. And it's there in verse 3 where he says, 
now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now you see, what Peter's trying to get across here is that if you really know Jesus, you have tasted that the Lord, of your, the Lord is good. Certainly at the time of your conversion, and surely many times since along the way, you've known as a Christian the joy that there is in knowing Jesus. You've known that supreme joy of knowing God and of knowing His love. But maybe it's been a long time since you've really tasted afresh and known the goodness of God. Maybe for a long time, the joy and vitality that you once knew has gone out of your Christian life. And, you want, and you've wondered about this. You've maybe come to all sorts of conclusions. You know, maybe thinking, well, perhaps this is just the way the Christian life is. This is all there is. This is the kind of mediocrity that it settles down to once your first joy has gone. I want to say to you that that is a lie of the devil. That is just not the case. The Lord wants you to go on and on tasting of his goodness. He wants you to go on and on meeting with him in power through his word. He wants you to keep on and on growing in maturity and holiness as his spirit works within you. God wants that for you, for each one who knows him. Joy can again be yours. You can taste again of the goodness of the Lord. Your conversion shouldn't be the peak of your spiritual experience. There should be and there can be more and greater to come. That is the incentive. If only you're ready to get right with God. The question today is, is that an opportunity you can turn your back on? Is that an offer from God that you can afford to refuse? I do not believe that it is. Let's come before God now. Father, we want to give thanks to you for the greatness of your love and for just the sheer ambition that you have for each of our lives. You don't want the Christian life to be a matter of a conversion and then a trudge to meeting with you face to face. You want the Christian life to be a life that's full of experience of you, that's full of you meeting with us through your word, full of the joy and the peace that you bring. You want us to know the richness of Christ more and more as we go through this life of faith. Father, today, if there's anything in our life that we need to deal with, help us to come. Not to push it to the one side, not to refuse, but help us to come and to deal with that now, to get ourselves to that place where we are right with you and ripe again to know your blessing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.